In today's episode, we are back, and we are the same. I'm gonna be talking about the Beatles. That's pretty much it. So get ready for that. I'm your host, Eric Brink, and you are listening to Empty Checking. Hello, Checkmates. It is good to be back with you. It's your good old Uncle Derek here to spend uh, probably about an hour with you. I don't know. Haven't recorded the show yet as of the time that I'm speaking. That's happening right now. Uh, I think it's going to be about an hour. It's usually about an hour. Never can tell. There's a loud truck out in front of my house that you might have just heard on on the recording there. Sorry if that's the case. Nothing I can do about that. Could edit it. Not gonna. Not gonna edit it. It's still going. I can still hear it. But I think it's driving away. Anyway, how's by you? Uh, been a been a few weeks. I knew it would be. Uh, I tend to when I take time off. I tend to take too much time off. So uh, <laughs> my apologies for that. Uh, for those who didn't get my brief update that I uploaded the other day. Which, by the way, if you don't listen to the show on an app, sometimes you're going to miss an update because you didn't get a push notification that I uploaded something. Uh, I don't put everything on the website, nor or on the, pardon me, on the blog, nor does everything on the blog uh, translate into the show uh, all the time. So uh, pay a lot of attention to me, I guess. Uh, but if you didn't get the update that I posted, uh, FYI, when I last posted an update, I was saying that uh, I had been exposed to COVID and might have it because I was awaiting the results of a test. Uh, for those who don't know, the test came back, it was negative, and uh, that uh, made me happy and surprised me a little bit, because um, not because I was feeling sick necessarily, although I did start losing my voice at one point, but it, it apparently was unrelated. Uh, I, I, I was surprised because, um, uh, with no offense to the person that, uh, exposed me to, to COVID, they, you know, didn't mean to do that, obviously. Uh, but, like, I was in a small room with them for the requisite amount of time to count as significant exposure, and, uh, they coughed several times, and, uh... Uh, I just, once they kind of got back to me and said that they had tested positive for COVID, and by the way, they're doing okay, they're up and around and stuff, they had a little bit of a hard time with it for a while, but they're, they're doing okay now, thank goodness. Uh, but they, uh, by the time they got back to me and said that they had COVID, I kind of thought, well, yeah, okay, that's, that's how that's gonna go, you know, because, uh, you know, we're in a time where if so, if, if you're in a room with somebody and they cough, you kind of go, huh. You know, and then they cough again, and you go, hmm. <laughs> and then they keep coughing, and you go, okay, they we, we shouldn't be in this room together, you know. Uh, and that's sort of the feeling that I had, and by the time they got back to me with uh, saying that they had COVID, I, my response to them was, yeah, I kind of saw that coming. Uh, <laughs> which, you know, I know was not encouraging, but... Uh, they're doing okay, is the good news. And the uh, even, well, I don't want to say the even better news. The also good news is that uh, vaccines work, masks work, because we were both masked. And uh, social distancing, we all know works, but no one's willing to do it. 
but vaccines and, and masks work because I probably should have gotten sick and I didn't. So that's that's good news. So uh, got to have Thanksgiving with the family and uh, got to got to enjoy all of that and uh, you know spent a few days waiting on test results at home because I, I went with the lab test. Because the lab test takes a little bit longer, but is uh, more accurate from what I'm led to understand. Because uh, there are lots of people who take the fast test and then end up sick and take the lab test. And the lab test confirms, yeah, you, you had COVID. I don't know why the rapid test came back clean. So, you know, I uh, I just went right to the lab test. I figured let's not play around. But uh, I'm doing good. Didn't have COVID then. I don't think I have it now. <laughs> uh, and I'm I'm uh, I'm doing okay. Got uh, the usual aches and pains in my back and elsewhere. And I seem to have screwed up my right wrist somehow. Don't know what that was, but that's new. Uh, but otherwise, yeah, fine. Doing okay. Doing good. Uh, looking forward to Christmas here coming up soon. Uh, assuming that I can stay out of rooms with people coughing on me until then. So, uh, and then after that, I, I have no firm plans, uh, but I would still very much like to not get sick. I'm looking forward to getting my booster here pretty soon. I don't have that scheduled. Uh, I need to get a little bit more information on where to go to get the right things, but that's going to happen because that's important. And, uh, this experience certainly made a believer out of me if I wasn't already. And I was, so uh, there you go. Good news. No COVID is the bullet point of all that. Uh, coming at you here tonight, uh, and I'm recording this at night, is why I said tonight. You might be listening to this in the morning or afternoon, but for me, it's night. Coming to you tonight, I am drinking a Schlafly Oatmeal Stout beer. Uh, Schlafly has, right now, I think it's just a winter-exclusive thing, a, uh, uh, a box of, sort of a sampler of four different stouts, and it's called the Stout Bout Box, uh, and three of the stouts in there are not something that they regularly issue, and then there's the oatmeal stout, which they do regularly issue. And I love stouts, that's my favorite kind of beer, and I was very excited to see that because it had three different stouts in it that I haven't tried. I have tried the oatmeal stout before, I enjoy it. It's not my favorite stout, but it's it's fine, it's perfectly drinkable, I enjoy it. I like sh most Schlafly products. Uh, I don't think I've had a Schlafly product that I thought was bad, in fact, but... Uh, uh, yeah, having the oatmeal stout tonight because it was what I was familiar with, and I wanted to kind of want to kind of get the uh, the old favorite, the old friend out of the way, so I can try the new exotic stuff, you know. And uh, uh, so we're we're enjoying an oatmeal stout tonight from Schlafly. This is in no way an endorsement uh, by Schlafly, but it's kind of an endorsement from me. So uh, why don't uh, why don't you join me? Take a take a sip of whatever you're drinking, if you're drinking something, or if not. Just sit there respectfully, quietly, while I while I have a drink of my beer. Good stuff. Love a good stout. And that is a good stout. So, uh, we've got some websites to talk about before we get into the bulk of the show. Uh, I need to do my promotional stuff, which I had written down because I often forget the order. And, like, I, I will sometimes leave off a beat of it and I can't find where I wrote it. So we're going to, we're going to, we're going to wing it. Uh, if you like the show and you want to learn more about it and see photos and stuff and read a little bit more than you're currently reading, uh, you can go over to the companion blog at emptychecking.blogspot.com. The show itself is hosted at emptychecking.podbean.com. My personal website is derekbrink.com. If you want to read more about me and my musical career, 
Uh, we're available on all of the podcast apps, including Spotify and uh, Apple Podcasts. Um, my music. That's that's one of them. Uh, that's one of the things. If you like the music that you hear throughout the show, <laughs> you can uh, download it all for absolutely free over at DerekBrink.BandCamp.com. Just put in zero as your purchase price, and you can take it. I don't collect your email address or anything like that. I would just love it if you loved it. Please take it. Uh, and also, if you want to email the show and ask questions or present rebuttals, you can do that at db, those are my initials, db at derekbrink.com, and I will at least reply to you, if not read your email on the show. By the way, thank you to those who contacted me uh, in the last couple of weeks just to say, hey, hope you didn't end up with COVID, uh, and you know, hope the show comes back soon and stuff like that. There were several of you, and uh, I, I don't want to be self-indulgent by, you know, saying, listen to all of these emails about me, you know. Uh, but thank you to those who reached out and expressed uh, concern and wished me well. That meant a lot, and I believe I replied to all of you. If I missed anybody, I do apologize. It wasn't intentional. Uh, sometimes stuff goes to my spam folder, you know. I, I will find you eventually if I haven't yet. But, uh, yeah, email the show, ask me stuff, and I will be glad to answer. We got a, uh, what I hope is going to be a good one for you here today. Going to be talking about the Beatles, particularly the, uh, Get Back documentary that everybody has seen and talked about. You've heard everybody's take but mine, unless you've followed me on social media. Kind of got my take there. But now I'm talking. So, uh, I, that's something. So, uh, that's, that's coming up. That's what this episode's gonna be. Just gonna talk to you about the Beatles for a while. If you don't like the Beatles, uh, please still listen. I put a lot of work into this one. I, I, I hope you'll still enjoy the episode, even if you don't like the topic. So, you know, that. But I want her. Of course I want her. I want the image that I see. let the music play a little bit longer than usual there. I was just enjoying listening to me. Uh, this is a song called uh, Beautiful Disaster off of my, uh, what album was that? Trigger Warnings and Sunshine, maybe, I think. Uh, I like that song, and I haven't heard, heard it in a while. And uh, also, part of that was I chose to play that song because there's that uh, kind of uh, synthetic flute sound in there, and that was very Beatles-inspired, and we're going to be talking about the Beatles so that was kind of why, but also I just, I like that bridge a lot, is, uh, that was me being a fan of me for a little bit. Sorry, happens, happens to the best of us, sometimes you like your own song. Uh, but yeah, we're gonna talk about the Beatles, uh, who also write songs I like, who write typically songs I like a little bit better than mine. Uh, so that's, uh, that's what we're talking about. Um, the whole world is talking about the Beatles here lately, as though that's any different, you know, it's, uh, the whole world's always talking about the Beatles, and, you know, I've, I've had a 
a little bit of a complicated relationship with the Beatles in the past. There was a while there where, where I claimed to not like the Beatles uh, in my 20s, partially because I was in my 20s and it was cool not to like stuff. Uh, but also because it is... The Beatles are one of those bands that I do still kind of have the instinct that when I say to somebody, hey, like, what are your favorite bands? And they say the Beatles. My response is always kind of, yes, I also enjoy water, but do you have any beer? Uh, because, I mean, of course you like the Beatles. Everybody likes the Beatles. They're the fucking Beatles. W what other bands do you like? Is always kind of where I, I find myself uh, in that, you know, in that uh, conversation, I guess. But uh, that's that's also unfair, because I like the Beatles. I like the Beatles a lot. I've got all the Beatles albums. I bought the uh, mono box set a few years back and bought the other stuff surrounding it. Uh, I've got some of the old vinyl, like some of it was my dad's and I've got it. I don't know if any of it's first release or not. I should probably ask him. Uh, most of it's not in any shape that it's worth anything, but it still would be cool to have something that was a first release Beatles album, which I might, I don't know. Um, but yeah, I've got, I've got tons of Beatles stuff and I, there are Beatles songs that are a absolutely part of my life history and my life soundtrack. They are, however, one of those bands that I kind of forget how much I love until I'm hearing them. Uh, I guess I kind of take them for granted in that way. But I, 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 I don't know. I don't know how to explain that exactly. But, like, they're one of those bands that, uh, if you listen to the show and you're, you're kind of caught up on the show, a, a while back I did a Wes Anderson-themed episode that I watched all of the Wes Anderson movies leading up to that. And in one of the Wes Anderson movies, it kind of starts with Hey Jude, and I was watching that movie, and I just had the thought of, God, Hey Jude is a good song. And, like, as though I had never had that thought before, <laughs> you know? <laughs> um, because obviously I've had that thought before. Everybody has had that thought before. But it just, it kind of, like, l watching that movie and hearing that song kind of play was like, God, that's just such a good song. How do I, how do I not listen to Hey Jude every day, you know? And the answer to that is because it's a very long song, is, is why I don't listen to it every day. And also, if you listen to something every day, you'll get tired of it no matter what it is. But uh, you know, I, th those are that's kind of my relationship with the Beatles, is I sort of forget about the Beatles, and I sort of don't listen to the Beatles for a very long time, and then they just show up, and I go, wow, the Beatles were good. Does anybody else know that? Does anybody else know how good the Beatles were? Uh, and of course, the entire world does. I'm the only one who forgets that. It's like I, I'm I, I have sort of the opposite of the problem the guy had in uh, the movie yesterday. I re remember the Beatles, but not how great they were. Uh, I guess it's sort of <laughs> sort of where it is. Um, but yeah, it's uh, I, the the Beatles are on everybody's lips right now, and that's largely thanks to uh, Peter Jackson who, Peter Jackson, you know as the director of The Lord of the Rings and The Hobbit movies, uh, also his take on King Kong. Maybe you're a fan of his old stuff like Heavenly Creatures or Meet the Feebles or, uh, what's the one, Brain Dead, I think, uh, and The Frighteners. Uh, I've seen a ton of his stuff. I, I could do a whole Peter Jackson episode, although that episode would quickly devolve into me just yelling about Frodo for an hour. 
which I should also do, but I, I think I've probably done the equivalent of that on the show in the past because every December I watch all of the Lord of the Rings and Hobbits movies. Hobbit movies. Uh, so you've probably heard me say enough how much I love Peter Jackson, but he did an edit of the footage that was filmed for the uh, Let It Be sessions. Let It Be, of course, was the Beatles' final album that was released, although not the final one recorded. The final album recorded was ab- was actually Abbey Road. Uh, Let It Be was recorded prior to Abbey Road. Everyone thinks it was recorded last because it re- was released last, but it was released last because they were working on getting footage together for the movie of uh, the Let It Be sessions and recording session that kind of came out that wasn't great, that was just an hour of the Beatles fighting, and uh, was very dark and sad and depressing as the last thing you knew of your idols. And, uh, uh, but Abbey Road was technically the last Beatles album recorded. I mean, it was literally the last Beatles album recorded, but it was, it, it came out before Let It Be, and that has always bothered me, because I always in my head think, oh yeah, Abbey Road, last Beatles album. Nope, second to last, and uh, I've had people yell that at me before, because that's not the kind of thing you want to get wrong if you're talking to a big Beatles fan. Um, but Let It Be was the last Beatles album that was released, and there were cameras present for those whole for that whole session, for all of the recording. The famous rooftop concert was a part of that, that you've seen footage of that kind of adorns the cover of the Let It Be album in some ways, and a couple of those pictures anyway. Um, you, you're familiar with the rooftop concert. You too did their own version of it when they got up there and played uh, Where the Streets Have No Name and the Cops Shut Them Down. It was the same basic vibe. Uh, but you too, as you too has done so many times, got that idea from the Beatles. Uh, so you're familiar with, you're familiar with the background of this album, even if you don't know you are, because, uh, Let It Be is just one of those albums that is in some ways controversial among Beatles fans and and in rock and roll history because of the sort of legend behind it. Uh, but the, the, the whole thing, like, you know, the song Let It Be and, and, you know, probably, uh, Long and Winding Road and, uh, what else is on the album? (laughs) As I I watched I watched uh, what almost eight hours of documentary on this thing and I can't remember what was on the album suddenly because I'm talking about it, uh, <clears throat> even though I just said you you know the album you do I don't is the problem that we're having right now. Uh, that's probably close to enough stalling to time to where I can remember. Uh, Two of Us is the song that opens the album. Uh, Across the Universe, you know Across the Universe, probably there's a whole play about Across the Universe, uh, more or less. And it's, it's, uh, Get Back, of course, was maybe the last huge Beatles single, uh, or it might be their last number one. I don't know if I've got that right. I probably don't. Somebody's going to yell at me about that in an email. But uh, you're familiar with several of the songs on the album because it's a Beatles album, but you've also probably seen some of the aesthetics of the album. You've probably seen some of the footage of the rooftop concert. You've probably seen snips and bits and pieces of them in the studio arguing or, you know, kind of whatever. You're a little bit familiar with the legend because the legend is this is the album that broke up the Beatles, which... It was recorded before the album that broke up the Beatles, but whatever. The legend is, this is the album that broke up the Beatles, this is the album where Yoko became a problem, uh, and Linda became a problem, and, you know. 
uh, it's it's got that whole rock and roll folklore behind it as an unpleasant experience for the Beatles, and to some degree that's fair. To another degree, that's very much not fair. And it's that degree that Peter Jackson was looking to express in the Get Back documentary. The Get Back documentary, before I go much further, is on Disney+. Plus. You can watch it there. I sincerely hope there will be a Blu-ray release sooner or later, but you can never tell with these streaming things. It's kind of weird that it's on Disney+, Plus because there's swearing and stuff in it, but uh, it's on Disney+, Plus, and uh, uh, that's where you can see it for right now. Um, it, uh, Peter Jackson got the footage for the whole session, which was 60 hours of footage, and I think something like 120 hours of audio recordings, so, like, just, just a ton of, uh, a a ton of material there to draw from that Peter Jackson had, and had it for several years, combing through it, choosing what he wanted to put on screen, Probably, I'm sure, running it by the surviving Beatles and Yoko and, uh, you know, making sure that nobody uh, currently living is unhappy with what was being put on screen. I'm sure that was part of the process. I don't know that, but you kind of know that, you know? Uh, Like, there's no way that Paul and Ringo didn't sign off on it, you know? Uh, At at least, and probably Yoko, since she seems to uh, uh, be heads over John's estate, but... Uh, that's, that's what we're looking at, is we're looking at Peter Jackson had 60 hours of video footage and 120 hours or whatever of audio footage and just went through all of it and put together a movie to show a different version of the story you already know from rock and roll history about this, this session, because the long-standing lore is this is the thing that broke up the Beatles. You've seen the Let It Be movie. They're all unhappy and arguing, and, and, and clearly Yoko had to be a problem. She was there, so she, the, the, she broke up the Beatles is sort of the lore that came out of, out, of, out of the Let It Be sessions. And Peter Jackson was largely just ma- looking to make that, to correct that misconception, because he shows you a lot of the fun times they had, too. Them laughing and joking around and play fighting, you know, and things like that, and and being, you know, just boys in a recording studio, and that's because that's all any musician really is, is a, a, a little boy left to have fun with his friends in a recording studio, and he showed that side of the Beatles as well, as well as the argument, but uh, you walk away from watching the original release of the thing going, wow, the Beatles hated each other, but then you watch what Peter Jackson did over his three-part two-and-a-half-hour installment each uh, documentary, and you realize, oh, those four guys really, really loved each other and were just sick of working together. And that is something that I think we all understand from whatever point of view you come to it from. I, I, don't, I don't even think you have to be a musician to understand that. If you are a musician, you're totally going to understand this documentary. Because I will tell you this... One of the, I was, uh, this is late in my notes, but one of the things I wanted to point out is that watching this thing as a musician, I just kept going, oh, thank God that also happened to the Beatles. I thought I was the only one, you know, like at at various different points. I just kept seeing things going, yeah, I've had that experience. Uh, Yeah, I've, I've been in a recording session and had a guy walk out. Yeah, that's absolutely, I I know what that's like. And I, uh, yeah, okay, great. It happened to the Beatles too. We're not alone, you know. But the uh, before I get into the movie itself, the concept 
of the Let It Be sessions, the reason they were recording this in the first place, was they were initially building up toward doing some sort of live event, some sort of show, which would have been, I think, their first show in like three years. Uh, So they were getting together with the intent of writing songs for a new movie, a new show that they were going to record. Which, even within the uh, documentary, you can see them kind of debating, well, wouldn't it, wouldn't it be better off if the people there to view us playing knew some of the songs? Like, maybe if, if they even had the album for a week before the movie happened, before they came in to listen to it, wouldn't they enjoy that more? Which is some pretty good insight, because a lot of people don't want to go see a band, even a band that they love, play something that they have never heard before. They want to hear songs that they know. You know, that's just part of it. But the idea was we're going to get together, we're going to write a bunch of songs, and we're going to have a concert at the end of, I think, two weeks, and it'll that's, that's what we're doing, and it'll also be our next album, we're going to record it. That was essentially the idea. You can see where that's problematic, <laughs> and where that can be difficult. You can see why that would be there would be a lot of pressure and stress on that. You come in with nothing and you've got to have a show at the end of two weeks. You know, that's, that's, uh, that's complicated. It's, it's John and, and Paul make writing a song look easy, but it's not that easy even for John and Paul, you know, as, as the sessions kind of play out. And out of that came the legend that we are aware of, you know, the infighting, the John and Yoko stuff, the breakup of the Beatles, etc., etc., etc. Because it was, uh, it was difficult. Uh, what we, what we do in the movie, uh, the, uh, I keep saying the movie, the documentary, I should call it, it's a three-part thing. Uh, what, what we get in the, uh, documentary is it starts off with just a little bit of prehistory, just in case you have no idea who the Beatles are, just a quick introduction with text on the screen and old Beatles footage. That's actually one of the things I really appreciate about the, the aesthetic of the movie is there's not a narrator and there's at no point does Peter Jackson show up and say, "All right, we're going to we're going to watch the Beatles in in the, this is my Peter Jackson impression, I guess. We're going to watch the Beatles in studio in London or wherever." And they're gonna they're gonna write the Let It Be album. That's what's gonna happen. At, like at no point do you get that dialogue. You don't have the director or any narrator or anybody popping up to tell you what's happening. It's all done just with the footage and sometimes with a little bit of text on screen, just to give you some context of okay, this is the next day. There's been a meeting and the meeting didn't go well. You'll get text like that, but you don't have a narrator and you don't have Pete Jackson jumping in to say stuff about the Beatles, you know? And I, I really appreciated that aesthetic. Because Pete just sort of let the Beatles tell their own story, and I thought that was really cool. Uh, so we we get the little bit of prehistory, but then we're moved into a soundstage, which is designed for, like, a TV or movie set to be built on. Big, empty, warehousey room that's echoey and sounds terrible that uh, uh, the Beatles' equipment is set up there, and they're coming in to start noodling around and talking about their next album and what they're going to do with this show. And they're they're in this big, basically, warehouse space that's meant to be filming a movie, and they're trying to work on an album and a show. The room is repeatedly stated to have bad sound. They're not 
happy in there. You can tell just from an aesthetic point of view. You can also tell that their nerves are a little bit frayed. They're guys who are getting frustrated just by the time they walk into the room. They're like, this again, you know, <laughs> is kind of the uh, feeling. Because at this point, the Beatles had been the Beatles for seven years, which... Imagine doing anything for seven years, but especially imagine being a Beatle for seven years. And I think we kind of forget that the Beatles were only the Beatles for about seven years. Uh, that whole, like, the whole Beatles thing happened in less than a decade, you know? Because uh, the Beatles have been the Beatles in my for my entire lifetime. John Lennon died in 1980. I was also born in 1980. I was born in May. He died in December. I only briefly knew a world with John Lennon in it. And, uh, but for my entire lifetime, and I'm 41, I've heard nothing but the Beatles, the Beatles, the Beatles, the Beatles. So it's easy to forget that it was really only about seven years that they put out music. That's incredible. And they put out that much great music that you know that's part of your soundtrack. But, I mean, just bear in mind that you've got guys walking in toward the end of their time as a band together, which they don't know, but toward the end of the time as, as a band. And they've been the Beatles. They can't walk down the street without someone yelling Beatles at them. They're the only people in the world who ever have been or ever will be the Beatles. The only people in the world who currently know what it's like to be a Beatle are Paul McCartney and Ringo Starr. Those are the only two people left breathing right now who have any idea what it's like to be a Beatle. And they're walking into a room with bad sound, with way too much activity happening, being told that there's a, a movie being filmed there and, and sets are getting moved in and stuff like that. That movie, incidentally, was going to be The Magic Christian, starring Peter Sellers and featuring Ringo Starr for some reason. Haven't seen it, but I'm familiar with it because I know a lot about Peter Sellers. Uh, but yeah, there, there's filming going on. They're walking into what they know is a documentary with a, a 10 camera set up and live mics all over the place, and they know they're being filmed nonstop, and they have to kind of put on their best face for that and be up for that and be, yeah, I, it's, it's in any situation, if you know you're being recorded or filmed, you're going to behave a little bit differently. So there, uh, there is some performing for the cameras happening that you can kind of tell is happening too. So there's a, just a lot of pressure happening as they walk into this soundstage with way too much activity and too many people because uh, they, they've got their own music industry people, their own road managers and stuff. Uh, of course, Mal Evans is there, uh, who, boy, he has a sad story. Uh, and uh, just various movie people and various people involved with the uh, uh, bi biography, the filming that's happening, uh, with too many people who are there just operating the facility. There's just a ton of people milling about all the time. And there are usually a ton of people milling about in a recording studio as well, but so many of them are behind different walls. Then you don't have to see them or deal with them. They're in a big open space with a lot of activity trying to write an album. That's high pressure. I mean, you've got you know, you've got their people, you've got movie people, you've got facility people, you've got Yoko and Linda and Hari Krishnas that came along with George, and at one point Peter Sellers shows up. It's 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 crazy town banana pants if you're if you want to get anything done. It's it's lunacy sitting in that soundstage trying to get anything done, and that's what they're doing. They're sitting in a sound in a soundstage trying to get stuff done. And that's, uh, that's the environment that we walk into at the start of the documentary.
Uh, it becomes very obvious very quickly that Paul McCartney, by this time, is the leader of the band. He's the one who seems most interested in making an album happen. He's the one who's trying to get things to move forward. He's the one who's going out of his way to to pull songs out of the air. He's the guy who's driving the ship. He's the one who's trying to get John Lennon to focus. He's the one who's doing all of the arranging, which uh, traditionally Paul has been very much the arranger of the Beatles anyway. Just like, no, we're going to do a chorus here. We're going to do a verse there. Time for the bridge. What if we did this? What if we did that? That's always been somewhat Paul McCartney's role. He's always been sort of a producer in that way. But uh, so much more so in this. It's just obvious that Paul is the leader of the band and he's the one trying to keep it going at this point. Uh, in some ways, this documentary serves as a low-key love letter to Brian Epstein, who was their manager previous to that, who passed away a little bit before that, for about a year, I think, 18 months, something like that, before they went into this studio. Brian Epstein was the guy who got them in order, told them where to be, when to be there, and to leave the wives at home. That was <laughs> That was his job for a very long time. He died of a barbiturate overdose. Uh, and the Beatles didn't have a new Brian Epstein, and it you get the sense very quickly that Paul was trying to fill that role while also filling the role of being Paul McCartney, you know? So it was, it was just a difficult situation on that level, too. But it, it does become very clear that Paul is the de facto leader of the Beatles at this point. Perhaps to some degree to John Lennon's chagrin, because it's it's pointed out at various points that Paul and John aren't communicating the way that they used to. They aren't writing together. There's there's some distance in that relationship that didn't used to exist. Part of that just comes with time. Part of that comes with you've worked with a guy every day for too long. Part of that comes with you've both got wives now, you know, and there are kids in the mix and things like that. Priorities shift and change, and it, it can be hard to make those changes. So there's, there's some uh, enmity there between Paul and John. But it's not the horrible fist-fighting enmity that you imagine because of Beatles lore. It's just clearly these are guys who aren't working as closely as they used to work. And clearly Paul McCartney seems to be the only one who wants to work. Because there's <laughs> plenty of sniping from John and plenty of uh, sort of just noodling around in the background, not really paying attention, sniping and yawning from George. Uh, Ringo seems fine. Ringo seems like he's just happy to be a Beatle, which is probably the best attitude to have. He doesn't seem to raise much of a fuss. Uh, it's worth noting, though, that a year prior to that, Ringo walked out of a session and quit the Beatles for about three days. So that's that's worth knowing as you consider everything else that happens in this movie uh, or documentary. Pardon me again. But yeah, there's lots of you can you can see that Paul wants to move this thing forward, and the other guys. I don't want to say that they don't, but they're not as into it as he is. They're they're questioning the idea of why are we doing a show again? Why aren't we? Why aren't we just doing an album? Why are we doing it like this? You know that that's kind of what Paul's getting. This is clearly a Paul McCartney idea that everybody else is going. I I, I don't know, Paul. Uh, oh, another thing worth mentioning is they're trying to record all of the songs live. Uh, and by live, I mean just in a single take, which is difficult to explain if you don't know what that means. But it's it's hard to do. Uh, and it, it's, uh, it, it means all of the band playing and singing at the same time together, and you're just recording it 
as a band, as opposed to somebody comes in and records his guitar part, and then somebody comes in and records the bass part, and then somebody comes in and records the drum part separately. You leave the vocals for last, and and do the vocals and get them perfect, and mix everything track by track by track. They're trying to do it all live, which is harder to do, because everybody has to play it as best they can. You know, so there's there's even more pressure, and Paul is the guy trying to steer this ship with a apparently disinterested uh, John Lennon who's just got so much frantic energy, uh, <laughs> and a apparently disinterested uh, George Harrison who is reluctant to even play his own songs because he feels like they're going to get produced to death by Paul, uh, the and a Ringo Starr who's just kind of playing drums. So, you know, it's it, it's really interesting. Um, but you see a, a really cool side of Paul McCartney. You get to see the guy who, like, oh, that's the magic of the Beatles. That's the magic of Paul McCartney, is he can just pull songs out of thin air. Uh, I mean, and there are songs that are presented by other members and that are presented by Paul himself that seem to be kind of already ready. Like, uh, John comes in ready with Don't Let Me Down, which isn't on Let It Be as an album and should be. Uh, it is on the Let It Be Naked release that came out some years later, but I, it, it got released as a single and the Beatles had a policy of not putting their singles on the album because they could do that. And it's just, Don't Let Me Down really belongs on that album. That was a misstep on their part. But uh, they they also work on uh, Gimme Some Truth for a little bit, which became a John Lennon solo song, and I'm very frustrated that there's not a full version by the Beatles out there, now that I know that they tried it. Uh, and, like, they work on Maxwell's Silver Hammer, which would show up on Abbey Road later. Uh, and Two of Us seems to be fairly formed when they walk in. So there, there are songs that are kind of ready to go. But Paul is also pulling stuff out of the sky. Like, you get to kind of... Like, while a bunch of people are milling about in the big open soundstage space, he's playing piano, and you kind of start hearing Let It Be come together, you know? And at one point, you if you've seen any footage posted on social media, you've probably seen this. At one point, Paul comes in and sits down with his bass and starts playing, just sitting there in front of George and Ringo, because John's late, because that's because he's, he's John. Uh, so Paul's just playing his bass, and he's got nothing. Like he's just like, I gotta come up with something. We gotta come up with new material, lads, you know. And he just starts playing his bass, and over about the space of a minute and a half to two minutes, you just see him come up with the backbone for Get Back. And he just, you watch Paul McCartney write Get Back, which is such an odd experience, because that's one of the big Beatles hits, and you just, you, you got to see a guy form it out of nowhere. And you really get to admire and love the spirit of Paul McCartney, and you sort of start to realize why the Beatles were so magical, because he could just do that. And so could John, but John isn't featured as much doing that, because they're not working together. Uh, but yeah, Paul is just able to pull songs out of nowhere, and it's amazing. Uh, by the way, an excellent comp companion piece to uh, the Get Back documentary uh, check out on, uh, what's it on? I think it's on Hulu, maybe? Uh, the McCartney 321 special, which is Paul McCartney sitting down with, um, um, Rick Rubin, who, of American Recordings, he did the Johnny Cash American series, is the thing you might know him from. Also discovered the Black Crows. 
but as he's sitting down with Rick Rubin and a soundboard and listening to old Beatles stuff and Rubin's and and some of the like Wings and McCartney solo stuff, but mainly the Beatles. And Rubin's just bringing in different parts of the recording and asking him about them and just pointing out little things that maybe you didn't think about about uh, McCartney's career and his songwriting and 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 the dynamic of the Beatles and things. And that's, I think, a six-part thing, half-hour installments each there. And uh, really interesting, really interesting to watch. Uh, and I'll tell you that, between between McCartney 321 and uh, Get Back, I appreciate Paul's bass playing in a way that I don't think I've ever appreciated it before. Because uh, Paul McCartney, obviously known as a bass player, obviously known as an influential bass player, I've always liked his bass playing. I've always, but I've always been surprised when I've found anything that he wrote challenging, which is unfair because, you know, you don't, you, you think of some of the Beatles hits and you're not necessarily hearing his most intricate work. But when you hear him play uh, Come Together, which is one of the hits, obviously, when you hear him play Come Together, you go, oh, that's a really melodic bass line. And, and even in the stuff that is melodic that he does that in the hits, that's so often not the focus. Like, you're not focusing on the bass. Or if you do hear the bass playing a melody part, you might be tricked into thinking it's a, it's a piano or something like that. But Paul McCartney played really ridiculously melodic bass lines that were really hard and really, really good. Uh, and I guess on, on, on whatever level I knew that, you know, because I, a couple years ago for a, a Christmas thing that my dad put together, I, I did a recording that was just sort of a, uh, uh, a parody version of Eleanor Rigby. You'll never hear that, probably. I don't have the copyright for that. But I, I did that, and uh, I prefaced it, like, prefaced the recording when I presented it to my dad as, okay, remember, Beatles songs are really hard to play, so, you know, give me a break, and uh, here's what I've got. And it, it it turned out fine. But, yeah, in my head, I, I, if you ask me, I, I know that the Beatles write complicated stuff, but I also don't think about how complicated, especially the bass parts, are. I think because of the era that they were around, I just imagine that the Beatles' bass parts are really simplistic, and they are anything but. You know? I, I don't know if that's making sense to anybody, but I, I think that's that's just where my brain goes. I, I don't remember how good Paul McCartney is on the bass. Almost said was. He's still with us, thankfully. Uh, he's... A really good bass player, I, and that comes through very, very clearly in the Get Back documentary, and also in McCartney Three Two One, which you should you should check out if you if you haven't. In fact, there's a moment in the McCartney Three Two One documentary where Rick Rubin reads Paul McCartney a quote that uh, talks about uh, I I'm I'm gonna butcher this. I don't have it to memory, but it's something to the effect of uh, Paul's a great bass player. He's one of the world's all-time great bass players. Everything people are doing now is just ripping off the bass work that he was doing in the Beatles. And Rick Rubin read him that quote, and Paul said, oh, that's, that's very nice. And Rick said, do you know who, who said that? And he says, no. And he says, that was John Lennon. And uh, it was said the year after the Beatles broke up. And Paul Paul's reaction was, hey, Johnny boy! You know, he never said that to me, but it's nice to know that he said it somewhere. Yeah, um, 
Which uh, is a lovely thing. That's a lovely little moment, but I also noticed that Rick Rubin uh, deftly stepped around the part where John Lennon said he was always coy about his bass playing. He was a complete egomaniac about everything else, but he was coy about his bass playing. <laughs> it just just happened to, uh, happened to step around that part of the quote. Uh, but anyway, that's a very good watch as well. Uh, and I, the, the whole thing I'm trying to say here is Paul McCartney's a much better bass player than I ever gave him credit for, and shame on me for that. He's also a great band leader. Uh, you know, a friend of mine for probably ten years has had a joke with me that, uh, the Beatles have only their bass player and drummer left, the Who has only their guitar player and singer left, why don't they just join together and form the Hoodles? And I, I always kind of said, I don't know if McCartney could handle it, Whistle's bass parts. And shame on me for that, too, because I'll tell you this, I don't think he would have written Ed Whistle's bass parts. I don't think he would have had Ed Whistle's bass sound, but I think he could probably play them. He's a really good bass player, and that's something that uh, I think I've said 900 times now in the last couple of minutes, and I need to move on from, but that's just something that I, I really needed to point out because I'm on record elsewhere saying, eh, Paul's not that great a bass player. A couple good riffs, you know, <laughs> but <laughs> he's actually really, really good, and I was an idiot when I held that point of view. Um Meanwhile, John Lennon is just completely unprofessional <laughs> throughout the whole thing. He's got this uh, frantic energy. He's you know, mugging for the camera. He's just a complete smartass. Uh, he's... Uh, uh, this is perhaps telling of the whole vibe of the thing. Like, at one point, and I can't tell you where this was, but I did watch it happen. At one point, you see John reach into his pocket, and he takes something out of his pocket... And he looks up and kind of clocks that there's a camera on him, and he puts it back in his pocket. So, <laughs> I'm thinking maybe John was uh, doing a little bit more than just uh, drinking his beer, is all I'm saying. Uh, so there was that, too, but I, who knows, maybe the entire group was stoned off their asses, but it, it was the 60s. Uh, John also had Yoko there all the time, which was... I, uh, I, I, I actually love Yoko Ono. I really love Yoko Ono. I think she made John a better person, and she's done a great job with his legacy. Uh, I I have no ill will toward Yoko Ono. I've never thought she was the reason that the Beatles broke up. I thought John and Paul were, uh, particularly John. Uh, but I, 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 I have nothing against Yoko Ono. That said, I think she might have been a little bit too present in the studio. Because uh, Linda shows up here and there. Ringo's wife shows up. I think George's wife shows up. But they're not there all of the time, and they're not, while John Lennon's trying to do a solo for a take on one of the songs, they're not, you know, Yoko's kissing him <laughs> at one point, and like, that's, that's unprofessional, you know, I'm, and that's, I, I, and I, I have no harsher feelings about it than that, that's unprofessional, and John should have been a little bit more professional during these sessions, it would have helped, um, but I'm also saying that at the age of 41, if I had seen this same footage of John Lennon when I was in my 20s, it would have been, like, he would have been my favorite Beatle. I would have loved <laughs> how big of a smartass he was and how little he seemed to care. But now I'm in my 40s, and I've been in a lot of bands that have broken up, and John Lennon should have been more professional. Uh, but all that said, wasn't it nice to see him so alive? I mean, that seems like such a stupid thing to say, because every footage, every piece of footage of the Beatles you've ever seen, John Lennon's been alive. But, like, this is 
stuff that none of us has ever seen before. This is footage none of us has ever had access to. And wasn't it just nice to see John alive and being John Lennon? That I, I got a kick out of that. I really enjoyed that. And that's somebody who I've never even had to miss in my life. You know, like I didn't have to deal with learning that John Lennon had died. He died when I was like seven months old. What did I know? You know, I never had to deal with the tragedy of John Lennon's death. He was just, he's been dead virtually my entire lifetime. But like, I really, I realized watching this thing that, wow, it's, it's really, really nice to see John Lennon alive and to see footage of him that I haven't seen before. This is really lovely. Uh, that said, it does have to be noted uh, because of the tone that I have throughout this whole podcast. Uh, you guys know me. Uh, it does have to be noted that John Lennon was kind of a jackass. Well, he was a jackass. Uh, noted as having uh, hit multiple women uh, that he was married to and not. Obviously, infidelity was rampant, as as was for most people. The rock stars of the day, including other members of the Beatles. I, that is what it is. But uh, John Lennon, even on record, uh, called referred to himself uh, and you know, especially as a husband, as quote a hitter, and uh, that and he said that's why I'm always on about peace and love because it didn't come naturally to him, and he wanted that and. To his credit, again, I think Yoko made him a better person and tamed some of that. Some of that, not all of that, from what I understand. Uh, I It's sad that he didn't have more of a relationship with his son Julian. Uh, that can be gone into detail in a different time and place, but we all know it's true. Uh, Sean became sort of the chosen child, and Julian got a little bit avoided, and that's... That said, John Lennon is a problematic personality. If he were alive today, they would he would be what the kids call canceled, which means a couple of people say that they don't like him anymore and his records continue to sell. That's what canceled means. Uh, but it, he, he had his problematic side. Uh, to my knowledge, the rest of the Beatles weren't near as problematic. I know there was infidelity going on. I... Haven't heard of any of the rest of them ever striking a woman, though, so if, if any of them have, then I apologize for not knowing that. But it does have to be mentioned that I, I certainly don't approve of John Lennon's personality in a lot of ways, uh, but at the same time, I have no qualms about buying his records because he's been dead for 40 years, 41 years, actually just, and uh, it uh, it's not like he's benefiting from that, you know? Money's going to Yoko and to his kids, and I'm okay with that. Uh, so I'm okay with saying, yes, he was a deeply troubled and complicated person who really needed to work on himself and stop inflicting himself on others. But at the same time, what great fucking songs, you know, like I have no problem saying that since he's been gone so long, but were this happening today, it would be a little bit of a different conversation. Just wanted to say that and acknowledge it because that's something that's been pointed out by many people and rightly so. Uh, back into the fray of it. As recording goes on, you get to see some of the fighting and some of the, uh, you know, sniping of the Beatles. Uh, and you see George getting irritated in the background, and he's not paying attention at times and noodling when he shouldn't be noodling and uh, on his guitar. And uh, at one point, somewhat out of nowhere, you can tell he's frustrated, but I didn't think he was this frustrated. At one point, we just get audio only of this, of George telling 
everybody that he's quitting the band. He just says, I'm I'm going to be quitting now. I'm going to be quitting the Beatles now. What? what? When? Now? I'm going home. Yeah, and he just uh, and they say, all right, well, we'll talk to George Martin about royalties and stuff. And uh, 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 all right, <laughs> is kind of is kind of the reaction. Uh, I'll tell you this: I didn't know that George quit during these sessions. Maybe that's better known than I thought it was, but I I didn't know that. Uh, I'd always heard, you know, the legend was always John versus Paul and and Linda versus Yoko and all that. I didn't know that George left. Uh, which, again, is not without precedent. A year prior, Ringo quit the band for a few days, too. It, I think, you know, just the dynamic, probably everybody quit a couple of times and didn't even tell the other guys. But I, it was just really interesting to see that. And they kind of let it lay, and they go to go to lunch and then come back, and uh, you know, Paul and, and Ringo and John just make a cacophony of noise with their instruments and accidentally invent punk rock. Uh, at one point, I think, and like Yoko grabs a microphone and is just kind of yelling into it. And in the background, Paul's playing the most crazy avant-garde bullshit possible behind her singing. And it was actually really interesting. I don't want an album of it, but it was interesting. Uh, (laughs) And they just kind of have this sort of crazy, you know, little bit of of time. And it's decided they're going to go see George and have a meeting with him and and they do, and we get text on the screen telling us, you know, this happened off screen, basically. They have a meeting, and the meeting does not go well. And you open up on the soundstage, and they say at first only one member of the Beatles shows up to rehearsal. There's some indication that they all might not, they may be done, you know? But Ringo shows up. And is hanging out and is around. And then after a while, Paul shows up with Linda. And that's it for quite some time. Uh, And then John shows up eventually. Uh, And at one point during this, Peter Sellers shows up and sits around, presumably because he and Ringo knew each other from the Magic Christian. Uh, It's just odd that, like, Peter Sellers seems just out of nowhere in this this documentary. It's... like, if, if it were a scripted movie, you couldn't find a weirder scripted moment than... And then Peter Sellers shows up. But he, he's just there and hangs around for a few minutes. And John's kind of riffing on him and he eventually leaves. But uh, there's some interesting moments in that time before John shows up. There's uh, something that people have really zeroed in on. Is that uh, Paul spends some time talking about Yoko. And basically saying, you know, people are complaining that Yoko's around. I, I don't think it's that bad. I don't think it's that bad of a thing that she's here. He seems to like her. You know, they they seem to want, want to be together. It's, it's And it, he kind of, he a little bit sticks up for Yoko. Uh, so people are saying, see, there's no reason to hate Yoko. But I, I think there's still some room in this movie to to for the people who need to hate Yoko. And if you're one of those people, shame on you. You shouldn't need to hate Yoko. Yoko's a wonderful person. But there's still some room there, because Linda does point out that at the meeting that they had, Yoko was doing all of the talking for John, and John wasn't talking, and she didn't think that John believed anything she was saying. Uh, So there's still that friction there. And toward the end of sort of this clip of time, uh, Linda says something, and Paul says, Oh, come on now, Yoko! You know, (laughs) just kind of needles at her that way. Uh, And and it's kind of cute, but it's also kind of like, all right, there's a little bit of... There's, there's a little bit of something there. 
but there is it is kind of remarkable to see that there is an extended period where Paul talks about Yoko and says, essentially, I don't think she's that bad. I don't know why people are mad at her. You know, is essentially what he says. Now that said, you've got to keep in mind a little bit which Beatles are still living and which Beatles are dead and which Beatles in the movie look really good and which Beatles don't. Because Paul McCartney, Ringo Starr, they're the two that look best out of the band. And who's still alive? Paul McCartney and Ringo Starr. Also still alive? Yoko Ono. So, you know, that's worth thinking about. But it's it's entirely possible that there's somewhere in the other like 50 hours of unreleased footage from this there's there may be 40 hours of paul you know just shouting about how much he hates yoko and and she's breaking up the beatles we don't know i kind of doubt it but uh it's possible that that exists but in what we got in this in this documentary we basically get paul sticking up for yoko which is just kind of lovely I, 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 I love him for that, because I, I, again, I love Yoko Ono. I, I mean, she is sometimes mad as, a, as a, a barrel of fish, if that's an expression. Don't think it is. But she's sometimes just nuts. But I, I still love her, for like, for that, but also for, again, I think she made John a better person. So, I mean, shame on you if you need to hold a grudge against her, because it seems like even Paul McCartney didn't, you know? So uh, that's just kind of a nice little beat to this thing. That said, by the way, I have the uh, 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 John Lennon and Yoko Ono, like, Two Virgins album and the Wedding album and uh, the other album that they did together is Plastic Ono Band before John started writing good songs again. And uh, those things are nightmares, and I don't ever need to hear that again. Like, I've listened to all of them once, but, like, in the same way that I've listened to all of Lou Reed's Metal Machine music once don't really need to hear that again, ever. Uh, but I still love Yoko. I just don't need to hear her music, you know? <laughs> that's, that's sort of where I am. Um, uh, also, during the time that we are at the point in the documentary that I'm talking about, John and Paul have a clandestine meeting where they go to lunch together, and they think they're on their own, but the documentary crew has hidden a microphone in a flower pot, so we get the audio of that. And it's really interesting and just kind of touching to hear these two guys sort of argue and say yeah it's it's not it's not great we've got to we've got to get we've got to get past this you know sort of what the tone of the meeting is uh and it's it's kind of lovely to hear i don't have a lot to say about it but it's just sort of lovely to hear them in what they think is an unguarded uh, un- unguarded moment even there even though there's clearly some friction between them uh they went into that uh, conversation privately because they cared enough to try to talk it out, and that's that's kind of lovely. I'm I'm gonna move on from there. Uh, the Beatles stage a an additional meeting with George, and it's a much better meeting. There's some water put under the bridge, and George comes back. As part of the condition of George coming back, they drop the uh, idea of going and doing the live performance. They're going to go into the studio instead and still going to try to record everything in uh, single takes, but no longer under the guise of we're going to do a concert at the end of this. Little did they know that they would end up doing one of the most legendary concerts of all time. Um, but they have uh, George comes back, 
and they go into the studio over at EMI, which later would be known as Abbey Road Studios. It was, you know, that's whatever. Uh, but they, they go into the studio, and the live show idea is abandoned. They're just working on an album at this point, which would end up being the Let It Be album. It's a much more productive and focused time, except for John Lennon, and uh, it's 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 a lot better. Like the relationships seem better. The first time that they're together, they just play nonsense and don't really work that hard. And I don't know if I can explain to you how important that is for musicians when something has gone wrong and you need to mend the relationship a little bit. You just need to get together and play bullshit. And it was lovely to see the Beatles just playing bullshit for a little while. It made me happy. Just like, oh, good, they're doing that. I've had to do that. It was one of those moments, you know? Um, something I noticed was that when George left the band, he was playing a uh, Les Paul. When he came back, he started playing a Telecaster. Now, I don't know that that necessarily indicates that Telecasters make everything better, but uh, we all saw it. And uh, <laughs> uh, God bless Leo Fender and the work that he's done. Uh, so that was kind of nice to see. Uh, also, you get to see a, a few people that you haven't seen so far, like George Martin shows up. George Martin, in many people's mind, the fifth Beatle, the guy who did so much of their production. He's finally there. And uh, it's good to see George. We uh, George passed away several years ago. George Martin did. Uh, and it was just kind of nice to, nice to see him doing stuff, you know? And I, I just like the guy... I've got a lot of fondness for him, and uh, it was fun to see George Martin around. He's not a big factor in the documentary, but it was just kind of nice to see him. Uh, also shows up, uh, or also also showing up, another guy who arrives is uh, Billy Preston, who is a great session electric piano player. Like, he... Uh, Worked with Ray Charles famously. He also, uh, perhaps more famously, worked with the Beatles uh, on <laughs> Let It Be. And uh, Billy Preston is, uh, well, was, he's also no longer with us, was a phenomenal player and just a great session guy. You've heard his work on stuff, even if you're not a Beatles person. Billy Preston's great. Um, and he shows up and he's just visiting. He's just coming in to say hi because he knows him. And there was no intent of him to... He wasn't looking for work. They weren't necessarily looking to hire him or anything like that. But he comes in and they had already talked about, wouldn't it be great to just have somebody playing piano? And Billy Preston just materializes and they kind of put him to work. They just say, hey, can you show up on this day? And he says, no, nah, I, I, I can't. I got a gig. I can come in the next day. And they said, okay, do. And he does. And he starts playing. And like the second that he starts playing, you just see Paul's face light up. He's just so happy to hear it. It just sounds great. And Billy Preston just brings this great energy and really laid back vibe because he's. It, it really just feels like he's hanging out with his friends just playing music. And he, he just seems real upbeat and happy. He's smiling. He's joking around with them. He's laughing. He's smoking cigarettes and possibly a few other things with them. And uh, he, he just looks like he's having a great time. And he brings an energy to the room that I think the Beatles really needed at that point. I kind of feel like Billy Preston saved those sessions and maybe the band for a little bit. I am not entirely clear on if they were paying him. Because at no point is it discussed that he's getting paid. But I assume they probably did. If not, then that's even nicer of him. 
because uh, he he I really think saved that album and saved that session and maybe gave the Beatles a little bit more time than they would have had without him. God bless Billy Preston. He's all over that album and he's great. Um, what else? We're boy, we're already an, an hour into this show, but that's okay. We're getting toward the end. They're in the studio. It's not that much longer. Uh, uh, Billy Preston showed up. Uh, there's a there's a sweet moment that happens because Linda brings her daughter Heather, who later was legally adopted by Paul. In fact, maybe right around this time, if if the timeline is a little unclear in my head, but. Heather is there, and clearly very much, you know, Paul's already dad to her, you know. Um, And she's hanging out, and she's, uh, what, probably six, seven years old, something like that. And she's hanging out with the Beatles, and, you know, John's kind of, you know, giving her shit (laughs) in in a very sort of loving way. And uh, she seems to really, really get along well with Ringo as well, and... Uh, like at one point, for some reason, Heather and Ringo seem to have coordinated their outfits. They're both wearing kind of leather vests, and <laughs> it just looks like they, you know, showed up and like, uh, wear, wear the brown leather tomorrow. I'll, I'll wear mine too. It seems like they coordinated that, which I'm sure they didn't, but it was just kind of cute. And, and George is noticeably the silent one, or the quiet one, but he's also, you know, kind of seems to enjoy having a kid around. Uh, and there's a really sweet section of that where Paul is listening to a mix, and the band is listening to a mix, and Paul's uh, sitting there kind of producing and kind of talking about it, and Heather just starts brushing his hair uh, with the, uh, the, in the way that a kid might to a dad. Uh, she's just brushing his hair, and he's like, oh, thank you, that's very nice, you know, and it's, it's just very sweet about it. And you kind of realize that, wow, Heather was brushing Paul's hair while Paul was producing The Long and Winding Road. <laughs> and it just kind of strikes you, you know? Um, that's uh, that's really something. And then we get to the rooftop. The band has decided that they, they want to do something a little different. They want to... They they're still sort of batting around the idea of doing a show, but it's... They, they decide... Long story short, too late, they decide that they're going to set up their equipment on top of the roof there at the studio, and they're going to just play, and they're going to record it, and whoever shows up and gathers around gets a free concert by the Beatles playing entirely new songs. Which is the most insane idea that you could have come up with at the time, and it's also one of the best ideas anyone's ever had in the history of rock and roll music. Um... So they get everything set up, and they get everything out on the roof and up there and ready to go, including an electric piano for Billy Preston. (laughs) And uh, they go up on the roof. They they show up, and it's a you know drizzly cold uh, English day. And I've got to think that that somewhat informed the wardrobe. And uh, <laughs> and they also didn't realize this is the thing that people are going to remember forever. This is like so many people's last image of the Beatles together as as a band. Because, like, Ringo's wearing a bright red raincoat, and, like, John's wearing a crazy fur coat. And, uh, like, just the only one who looks good at all is Paul McCartney with his beard and his black suit. Uh, it looks beautiful and uh it's 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 just like though you couldn't have chosen a more insane wardrobe for the beatles to do their final performance because this this was really their last performance even though they had the album to come out and also abbey road to come out this was like the last time they played together in public like this um 
and they did it on a rooftop, unannounced. No papering of the area, nothing like that. They just set up the cameras, set up all the equipment, and started playing, and if someone was walking by at the right time, they got to hear the Beatles. And uh, that's just insane. This is 50 years before the phrase flash mob came up. You know, <laughs> they just, this was, they did a flash mob. They just like, okay, the Beatles showing up on a rooftop in the middle of England and whoever hears it, hears it. And whoever doesn't is going to be furious for the rest of their lives. Uh, and some of the people who do hear it are going to be furious for the rest of their lives because they're old and they don't understand rock and roll music, man. And uh, that's, that's what they did. They get on the rooftop and they start playing. And the... The the crowd that gathers out there is largely people, you know, largely young people, as you might imagine, but some older folks as well. And some of the, they have cameras down among the crowd and they're asking them, do you know what you're listening to right now? That's well, the Beatles, isn't it? And like, yeah, 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 it's, it's, they're recording a new album right now, you know, and, and they were, they were, some of those takes made it on to let it be. Uh, that's one of the other things I appreciate about this documentary. So often Peter Jackson just drops in a little bit of text to say this take is heard on the final album. You know, that's just so it's just amazing to watch that. Uh, but yeah, they keep like asking people in the crowd, you know, do you know what you're listening to? Oh, it's the Beatles. They're playing new music. And people are like, Oh, well, that's, that's, that's great. You know, in that English way, you know, <laughs> and occasionally people go, well, I wish they, it, it woke me up and I wish they wouldn't do it. You know? And, uh, so it's kind of an interesting balance in the crowd, but most people seem to be enjoying themselves. And, uh, of course the police show up and you get to follow the cameras following the police trying to get access to shut it down and them kind of delaying them down in the, in the lobby of the building saying, well, we're looking for the guy who's in charge of it. Well, it's, it, it's really just, there, there's a PA up there and we could turn the PA off, but you know. And the police finally get them to let them onto the roof and, you know, and they go up on the roof and you get to see the moment where Paul turns around and sees that the police are on the roof and just keeps singing. <laughs> and then like, oh, God bless you, Paul McCartney. Uh, it's it's wonderful. Um, the rooftop concert, there's very little I can tell you about it that you don't already know. Uh, it's an insular moment in rock and roll history that is incredibly important and incredibly cool, and we get to see more of it than we've ever seen before in the Get Back documentary. Thank you, Peter Jackson. Every ten years, Peter Jackson comes around and gives us a gift. It was the the, the Fellowship of the Ring in 2001. Happy 20th birthday to that. Up on the, uh, the 19th of this month, on December 19th, Fellowship of the Ring. 20 years old, uh, and then in 2012, he puts out the first Hobbit movie, and in 2021, he puts out Get Back. God bless you, Peter Jackson. Uh, again, there's not, nothing I can tell you about the concert on the roof that you don't know, especially if you've watched this, but the thing that I didn't know is, like, watching it, I realized, wow, that is both a lot longer and a lot shorter than I thought it was. It's one of those things where I just imagined that it was either four hours long or it was 10 minutes before the cops shut it down, because I've confused it with uh, U2 playing Where the Streets Have No Name. Um, but uh, yeah, I was a little bit surprised by the fact that they did some songs more than once. Uh, 
uh, that they did, you know, get back a couple of times, and and I don't think either version ended up on the album, but I can't, I, I'm not sure if I remember that correctly or not. But I, I was just, I was surprised by how long and how short it was, and I don't know how both of those feelings can exist at the same time, but they sure do. Um, and they they finish the rooftop thing, and they go downstairs, and they listen to it a bit, and they decide, and they you know, are gonna reconvene to finish up the more acoustic-y parts that couldn't be done on the rooftop, which I really wish... This is the one feeling of this documentary. I really wish he had spent more time in the studio with them after the rooftop recording those final songs because, like, those songs are, like, two of us and Let It Be, and, like, those are major songs of the Beatles' career. It just feels like they skipped over that <laughs> like that part of the that part of the story and I really want to see it maybe there's a uh maybe Pete uh maybe when Peter Jackson does the blu-ray he'll do an extended edition <laughs> where there's a, another episode about those uh those uh uh things uh those those sessions those songs but I mean you you hear some of it but it's kind of over the uh over the credits and it's amazing how many of those takes were the ones that ended up on the album, and we didn't get to see that part, you know? I, I don't know. That's the one failing, I think, is I would have liked to see a little bit more of that. But, I mean, my God, I got almost eight hours of the Beatles writing Let It Be as an album. That's amazing. It's amazing that we got that much of this thing, and it was all great. By the way, I don't know if you can tell, I liked this documentary. <laughs> it met with my approval. Uh, it, it was so wonderful to watch. I I I loved all of it. I loved that Peter Jackson stayed out of, out of the way, and at the times that he did pop up, the information that was provided through the text on the screen was very good, very vital information, or just cool to know that this is the version that appears on Let It Be. Uh, and I, I liked the little things that I learned throughout. Like, I didn't know that when Paul was playing piano... One of the other Beatles would play the bass, but wouldn't play it on a bass. They'd play it on a guitar that was tuned down really low. And this, by the way, the baritone guitar, which is a very low-tuned guitar, the baritone guitar had not been invented by the time the Beatles were doing this. They were, but they, so that wasn't even a thing. Like, now you could do that with a baritone guitar and people would go, oh, I guess they're playing a baritone guitar on that since the bass player's playing piano. No, that that didn't exist. The Beatles sort of invented the baritone guitar, I guess, and that that was just cool to see. And I didn't know that, and it never would have occurred to me. That was that was interesting. Uh, I will say that um, the Let It Be album is great. It's not my favorite Beatles album. My favorite Be- Beatles album is Abbey Road, but it, it's a great album. I so much prefer the Let It Be Naked version that came out in what two thousand. Nine, something like that? That feels too late, but it came out in the 2000s, I believe. And the reason I prefer that is the uh, the Let It Be album was handed over to Phil Spector, you know, uh, crazy murderer Phil Spector, uh, and he, uh, he did, he sort of got the raw tapes and went against the Beatles' wishes by, because they want everything to just be them just the four of them playing, I guess five of them with Billy Preston playing, and it was live in the room, and that was the whole point of it. And it got to Phil Spector, and he honored that up to a point, but then also overdubbed a bunch of stuff, like 
long and winding road, there's a full orchestra and a choir on it that the Beatles never intended to be there, and that particularly McCartney was very frustrated to hear. And in hindsight, so am I, because I've since heard the Let It Be Naked album, and it is light years better, and also the track listing makes more sense. Uh, so, uh, yes, Let It Be is one of the great albums of all time. It absolutely belongs in your collection. Also get Let It Be Naked at some point, or at least listen to it on Spotify or someplace that, well, I was going to say, or someplace that gives the uh, artist royalties, but uh, it's Paul and Ringo. They're fine. Uh, listen to it on Spotify. <laughs> it's fine in this case. Um, but, but yeah, like I said, there's a, a lot to love about it, and there's a lot that I just kind of learned outside of the outside of the stuff that probably everybody else Jump, jumped in on. I mean, just the stuff that, like I said, so many times it was nice to see, oh, that also happened to the Beatles. I've had that same experience as a musician, and it's so nice to see. And and this also sort of helped cement where Let It Be happened in the timeline of the Beatles in my head, because you do get to see them writing Maxwell's Silver Hammer, which is on Abbey Road, and that does kind of help me remember that, yeah, Abbey Road came out first, and then let it be was delayed because they were working on the film so that uh, okay i've got it now you know so like that helped because i've always mixed up the two uh and not not just because of the way it was done but also just abbey road is i i think the superior album uh especially side 2 if if there's a better side 2 of an album out there i don't know what it is that whole medley that they did Genius. By the way, that was all George Martin's idea. George Martin wanted Abbey Road to be just one long medley, and Paul McCartney said no, and met him halfway and said, okay, side two can be a medley, and it's the best thing that, <laughs> it's the best medley anyone's ever done, especially of original music, and we owe Paul Martin thanks for that. Or Paul Martin, George Martin. I don't know if I said Paul Martin four times there. George Martin. George, George, George Martin. If he were named with a different name than one of the other Beatles, that would have helped. Um... But yeah, we owe George Martin a debt of gratitude for side two of Abbey Road, the greatest side two that anyone has ever recorded. Um, I'll tell you that, uh, I'll tell you this, so much of this movie, like one of the things that you see people freaking out about is Paul McCartney writing Get Back, and Get Back is a great song, uh, but it's not one of my favorite Beatles songs. <laughs> it's I, I could take or leave, get back, to be honest with you. Because I got to know the Beatles in largely like the late 80s, early 90s when I was a kid. And, you know, there's not a lot of people who their first Beatles song is Get Back. I'm sure there are plenty of people, but you first hear sort of the 60s invasion stuff or maybe Sgt. Pepper ca catches your ear or, or something like that or Hey Jude or something like that. Get Back just doesn't seem like anyone's go-to example of, of, like, a perfect Beatles song, you know? And, like, the first time I heard Get Back, I was already a Beatles fan, but I didn't know that song, and I was at a, I was at a hotel with a friend, and uh, th there was a karaoke machine there. And they said, let's sing some Beatles. And I said, okay, let's sing some Beatles. And they put on Get Back, and I was like, what is this? Who the hell is JoJo? You know? And <laughs> I was just completely lost. Uh, Get Back, like, that's my abiding memory of Get Back, is going, what the hell is this song? And that's, like, still kind of, when I hear it, I just think about that moment. It's not my favorite Beatles song, but it's certainly iconically in this movie, or in this documentary, to the point that it's named after it. And I I did walk away with a greater respect for that song watching McCartney write it. 
you know, so that that's just another thing. Um, one thing that I want to, that I kind of saved for the end that I want to talk about that I thought was probably the most poignant moment of the documentary, at least to me, was, uh, this, this kind of, uh, this killed me. Uh, the day after they have the bad meeting with George, when they don't know who's going to show up, uh, Ringo shows up and is there for, for a while, and then Paul shows up and is there and talking to Ringo and things and talking to the other guys in the sort of circle of chairs that is there, and Lennon hasn't shown up, and there's maybe some indication that he's not going to. Uh, like, they, they certainly don't seem to expect him. And at one point, McCartney just sort of leans back in his chair and says, and then there were two. And there's kind of a pause, and they sort of hang on Paul for a second, and in the footage they then cut to Ringo, and you kind of realize, ooh, ooh, those are the two we still have. And there's no way Paul could have known that when he said it, and that wasn't as weighty then as it is now, and God forbid, in hopefully a couple of decades from now, when Paul and or Ringo have also left us, it won't be as weighty then, but right now, that just killed me, because we've got two, and we've got those two. And that uh, that's sort of the thing that keeps abiding in my memory from having watched this thing, that we're all damn lucky to be walking the earth anywhere near in proximity to any of the members of the Beatles. Uh, I was here for all four of them, for at least at least briefly in Lennon's case, but I remember when George Harrison passed away, I've been a Beatles fan, I think, my entire life to one degree or another, despite the couple of years there where I claimed I didn't like them because I was in my 20s and in a punk band. The Beatles... Like, we got to share the Earth with the fucking Beatles. And isn't that just so cool? Don't you love that? If you uh, haven't had a chance to watch the movie yet, I just told you about all of it, but you should still watch it because I've only been going for uh, over uh, just about an hour 20 here, and uh, that thing is close to eight hours long. So uh, watch it, and also watch McCartney 321. It's great. It's part of rock and roll history. You owe it to yourself to know this stuff, if nothing else. You don't have to be a musician for it to be great. It's just great. Uh, I, I can't say enough about it, even though I've said as much as I've said, and my throat's getting sore from saying it. Get Back, a triumph. A wonderful documentary. I desperately need a Blu-ray release of it, Disney+, Plus. if you're listening, which you are not. Uh... I'm hoping that because Peter Jackson is known for his Blu-rays and his extended editions and stuff like that, that we get one. But since it's on a streaming service, I don't know if that's in the cards. I, I hope like hell that it is. I will move heaven and earth to get it when and if it comes out. Uh, that needs to be sitting on my shelf. That needs to be sitting on my shelf, and I need to be able to to uh, touch and, 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 and smell and taste this movie. Uh, I probably won't taste it. Uh, but I, I, I need a physical product of this in my life. If nothing else, I'm gonna have to buy that fucking book that they put out <laughs> as an accompanying piece, uh, which is like $30. Uh, what, what a, what a triumph. What a triumph. See it, watch it over and over again. It deserves to take up space in your brain. That's, 
That's all I can say. Checkmates, thank you so much for hanging in there for a little bit of a long one. I hope that you got something out of it. I had a blast talking to you about that. I could talk about the Get Back documentary for days on end, and I feel like I have. I feel like it's all I've talked about since I watched it. Which, by the way, I watched it all in a sitting. I waited until all three parts were out, and that's how I spent that, like, nearly eight hours of my life. I just hit play and kept watching, thinking I was going to take breaks between, but I did not. I watched it all in a sitting, and I've gone back and watched some of it again. It's really good. Check it out, if you haven't. Um, thanks, uh, thanks for listening to me. I want to real just do a real quick bit of business here before we sign off. Uh, those who have been listening to the show for the recent episodes will know that I keep delaying doing an episode that I have been promising, which is me sitting and talking about my album Happy Now, uh, where I play it in the background and tell you about stuff that happened during it and what the songs are influenced by and stuff like that. Um, I have that recorded, but because I ended up taking several weeks off there, I didn't want to come back with that, and I've got some stuff that I want to talk about as we get into the end of the year that I, I wanted to kind of wait before I, 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 I didn't want to burn a week of episodes by doing the Happy Now episode. I wanted to kind of cover the stuff that I feel like I have to get out of the way before the year ends. So that's, uh, that's what we're going to do. Uh, I am planning on putting out the Happy Now album probably, in, or album, ep- Happy Now episode, probably somewhere in the week between Christmas and New Year's. That's probably when it'll happen. If that's not the week that I end up telling you my top 10 albums of the year. If so, it'll be the one after New Year's. It'll be one of those two. We'll see how these next couple of weeks shake out. But uh, I, if you've been waiting and waiting and waiting for that, thank you so much for your patience. It will be rewarded. I have that episode. It's actually ready to go. But I just wanted to get some stuff talked about before the end of the year. So thanks for your patience on that. You'll get it soon. As long as nothing happens to me, I promise it'll come out. Um, but other than that, I hope you enjoyed this little time that we got to spend together. It is so good to be back and talking to you again. It makes me happy to do this, and I'm sorry that I put it off for a little while. Uh, I got distracted, you know? For a while, I thought I might have COVID, and then I didn't, but was still distracted. I think I'm justified in having taken the week of Thanksgiving off. I think that one was fair. But, uh, some of the others, less so. But... Thank you so much for being a checkmate and a friend of the show, and uh, send in your uh, questions, comments, concerns, objections, and so on to db at derekbrink.com, and I would love to talk to you. It's always great to get uh, mail from one of y'all out there. Or, of course, you can contact me on my social media or what have you if that's your preferred method. Uh, But yeah, other than that, there's just all that remains is to say the stuff that I say at the end of every episode. So please go out there and get vaccinated, wear a mask, for God's sake, wear a mask, but get vaccinated if unless your doctor has specifically told you not to, which he hasn't probably, go out there and get vaccinated. Get vaccinated, get vaccinated, get vaccinated. It's the only way we're going to beat this thing. Please, God, get vaccinated. Social distance as much as you can. Wear a mask when you can't. 
Uh, beyond that, please remember that black lives matter. Trans rights are human rights. Women's rights are human rights. I shouldn't have to tell you any of that. Be good to each other. Be good to yourself. Forgive each other and forgive yourself. And while you're doing that, check us out next time. I dig a pygmy!